Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 284. Today we discuss how to choose a real alternate. You know, it's a season for extreme weather, and many times we find ourselves searching for an unplanned landing in an airport other than our destination. So in this episode, we're going to discuss how to choose a real alternate. Not one that's required by the regs, but what's a true alternate? It's going to be interesting, and we have a great panel today with us to discuss that. Uh, Today joining me are going to be uh, Tom Frick, Russ Rosleski, and Eric Crump. We'll start with uh, Tom Frick. Hey, Tom, uh, what have you been up to, man, as far as flying is concerned? So lately, just uh, doing the day job, doing the the corporate flying and uh, catching flights here and there, been just dotting all over the country and you know, get a flight here, get a flight there. And then, uh, also been doing some training too. I've got a, I've got an instrument student that I've been working with. I've got him about three quarters of the way through, um, did his long cross country today. And, uh, that was, yeah, a lot of fun. So 250 miles and three different approaches. And I think, uh, out of a four hour flight, we had mm, 2.2 actual. So good times. Wow. Actually, that's awesome. So, uh, so you know, you do both. You do uh, the corporate flying and the instruction, and, and that's awesome that you do do that. You're passionate about aviation, and you also do it as a job. So that's that's really cool. As a matter of fact, somebody else who does that who's really passionate is Eric Crump. Eric, I know you've been quite busy. So tell us what you've been up to in the past uh, few weeks in your <laughs> flying life. Quite busy. Yeah, that's an understatement. I actually missed that phase of my life. Tom, honestly, if I could, if I could go back and do the corporate thing and the flight instructor thing again, that was just a, a ton of fun. Um, always going to different places, flying different stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit envious. Um, Tom Frick is now my spirit animal. Um, so what have I been doing? Uh, we started our fall semester at the Polk State Aerospace, um, and uh, it. Uh, <laughs> It, it was intense, honestly. After a year of being sort of quiet due to COVID, um, it uh, picked up with force. We took our biggest incoming class uh, in the history of the program, uh, which was great. Uh, is also uh, keeping us really busy. So um, hopefully we'll uh, throw some new uh, flight team prospects at you, Carl. Um, that's uh, that's coming. Yeah, actually, that's uh, that's actually awesome. I, I'm excited about that. Uh, new prospects with the college and also the flight team. And, uh, you know, as people that don't know, I actually volunteer as a flight team coach at Polk State College. And uh, it's been a pleasure to work with uh, Eric Crump. Uh, I'll expect a raise after that comment. Um, I will give you a 300% raise, Carl. Um, it's It'll be in your yeah. next paycheck. And people that know my salary know that's pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> well, 300% of zero is still zero. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here, um, especially to, to look at everybody's face, except for yours, Carl. Um, but, but Russ and Tom look really, really good tonight. 
Yeah, they do. And I, you know, maybe one of these days we'll do a video podcast and tell, you know, show them what we're talking about. I'm just afraid that I get this shine over my head that's all white. Uh, it's people like think a halo, I'm really young. Actually, and, and then they see it's me. Like a, yeah, it's it a, is. <laughs> it is like a halo. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, but we, too, yeah. You know, and Tom's sitting there like, I wish I had some. <laughs> but, so Russ, um, tell us, man. You've you've uh, and, and well, we'll get to mine. But how you been? I mean, it's it seems like you have been just really uh, busy with weather. Uh, some time, I think they have like tornadoes and stuff over there in Oklahoma. Well, well no, no tornadoes recently, which is great. Uh, we have had quite a bit of weather in the last few weeks, but I've been doing a ton of flying myself. In fact, July was my. Uh, my all-time busiest month. So yeah, I kept really busy. A lot of instruction, a lot of multi-engine instruction. Uh, I still have a uh, Seminole that I have a long-term lease on and I've been doing multi-engine training in that. And as well as other people buying twins and, you know, doing the insurance training for them has been a lot of fun there. Uh, some corporate flying as well. Uh, I was flying a 421 for a guy, but he sold it last week and actually flew it up to Kansas City to deliver it to the new owner. So that's, uh, I guess, one less plane I'll be flying. Maybe that'll I'm sure this month won't be quite as uh, record numbers for me, but uh, but no, it's been a lot of a lot of good times flying, a lot of good. Actually, weather's generally been okay. We've had some some storms and such roll through. It's been an interesting summer, but uh, today it's just hot. This whole week, 95 degrees or so, and a lot of humidity as well. So, but yes, but Carl, I hear you've been kind of busy too. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to have to apologize to the listeners that uh, we haven't gotten one out uh, uh, episode recently. We went a good uh, 10 years with one on the 1st and the 15th. We kind of stumbled a little. And, you know, there, it really and it brings up a, a point as to why we have this podcast today or why this topic, I should say. Uh, it has been crazy out there. As you know, I do the Aviation Careers podcast and the career counseling and the, and the interview preparation. The airlines have been hiring so much right now that I've uh, had to kind of even cut back and give some of my clients to some of the competitors because we are so busy. It's phenomenal. Just to give you an idea, uh, I would do, say, three interview preps maybe in a month uh, a year ago. Uh, Now we're doing sometimes three interview preps in the morning. Uh, so things have changed dramatically. I mean, we'll do. I just this week I've done. I think it was like eight or nine different airlines I've uh, prepared people for for the airlines, and so that's happening. It's hiring. It's happening again. People get back into aviation as far as careers in droves when things go, you know, get better, and they get out when things are bad, and that's why things have been so crazy lately. Uh, and then the other side of things, the airlines have been truly have been busy. And I've been flying a lot and flying a ton of IFR and flying in the system uh, quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I haven't been doing a lot of VFR flying at all. It's just been absolutely crazy, Uh, just hardly any VFR. We're going to talk a little bit about choosing an alternate for those that fly both VFR and IFR because what's been happening is I'm doing a lot of holding. And uh, for the first time in a while, I actually had to divert. Uh, on the way to my destination, and uh, that doesn't happen too often, uh, but but it does happen, and uh, we have to do a lot of contingency planning. What do we do? When do we bug out? You know, what's a good alternate? What's a legal alternate? Those are the kind of things I wanna I wanna answer today in this episode. Let's do the pre-flight. But you know, before we get started, a, a quick shout out to our sponsor here, and that's uh, AviationCareersPodcast.com, and uh, they're. You know, on that website, we're giving away free scholarships guides. That's that guide you can get for $10 is over $120 million in scholarships. Check out aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free. We have a lot of sponsors uh, that are giving away scholarships 
both through our Patreon account and also people that are sponsors like uh, Spartan uh, College of Aeronautics and uh, Plain English Sim and then all those folks on Patreon. So go check that out. If you're looking at getting another rating, it's not just for career seekers. It's uh, for everybody. Now entering cruise flight. But let's get on with the cruise flight, guys, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, how what we mean by a real alternate. You know, like I said, I've been diverting and uh, holding, and uh, you know, I have some. Actually, I'm going to try to put that screenshot. I'm trying to find it and maybe put it in the show notes of uh, some holding I did uh, close to the outer marker, uh, coming into um, uh, Orlando, I think it was, and. A lot of times what happens is on a good VFR day, we don't really have an alternate. And we may not even have to file IFR. But you know what? We we probably should have an actual alternate, like a real alternate. A lot of people are, are going to say to me, hey, Carl, this is uh, contingency planning. And uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it definitely is. Uh, but, uh, but that's really why I wanted to do this. I have had so many challenges, and we've had so many discussions lately at, uh, at work as to, you know, what do we do? You know, what's an alternate? And uh, what, you know, why, why do we need one? When do we need one? That, that type of thing. Uh, so one of the things I'd, I'd like to ask, especially, um, you know, I know, Tom, you, you fly a lot of corporate. And uh, in your corporate flying, you fly a jet. And you also do a lot of flying both GA and in, in the jet aircraft. Um, and you said you did a long cross country. Kind of tell me a little bit about what's been happening lately with all the thunderstorms and the hurricanes and that type of thing. Have you had uh, uh, some of those challenges and uh, have you been uh, hunting for alternates like I've been talking about? Oh, absolutely. And as soon as I saw the topic for tonight, it was like, oh, this is perfect. It was right up, you know, what I've been dealing with lately, you know, flying in Florida this time of year. Um, I'm sure Russ has got the same thing out in Oklahoma. We deal with, you know, just massive thunderstorms and they just pop up and you dot your way around them. And and depending on what type of equipment you're flying is going to depend on how you think about where those things are and how are you going to get around them? You know, so um, case in point today, you know, I had to make a, my last leg from uh, PIE to OCF up in Ocala. There were storms in between there and, you know, we were discussing before we took off about, okay, what are our options along the way if we can't get into Ocala? There was a line of storms that was already grown and, and pushing over that way. Um, I was in a Cessna 172. So, um, yes, it's faster than a, a 15-mile-an-hour thunderstorm, but, uh, you know, going around and giving it a wide berth and all that other stuff, and, and I definitely don't want to fly into it. You know, so all my options we, we had discussed. So in between, I had Crystal River, um, Inverness, um, Marion County. And those were all, we, we had talked about those before we even left. It's like, okay, if we need to bail and we need to get on the ground, we have places we can go and we have, we have options. And we did not file any of those locations, but had them in our back pocket if, uh, that was going to, if it was going to come to that. And along that point, like you said, you had to hold, I was looking the other day at, uh, um, I haven't had any holds on my own lately, but I've seen some pretty nasty lines of thunderstorms coming through. And the major airport by me is Tampa International. And uh, a big line came across Pinellas County. And there was two spots, one over Gainesville and one over Dade's intersection out over the Gulf where they had them stacked up. I mean, there was six or seven planes stacked up on both locations waiting for that thing to go. And then you could see 
Um, one had to divert, and you saw him leave that holding pattern. He went and landed over in Sarasota. I, I'm guessing it was fuel issue for him, you know. But it was funny to watch. I watched that whole entire thing on Flight Aware, and, and you could just because I was curious to see where they were holding everybody, and that's where it was. And and it lasted probably, hmm, I'm gonna say the better part of 30 minutes. Storm had blown through, and then little by little, they started letting him out of the holding patterns and back into land. And I'm wondering that one that broke out and went to Sarasota, if that was uh they had a contingency plan to do that or it was like uh-oh we've got a, a fuel issue and we're gonna go land so not sure well you know tom it's, it's interesting you talk about lines of thunderstorms that's kind of what we get here in oklahoma a lot you know the big fronts coming through and uh, just big you know hundreds and hundreds of miles along lines of thunderstorms and and yeah the contingency planning is real important what carl was talking about too yeah you you're flying somewhere and it may be a beautiful VFR day like it is out here most of the time in the uh, in the summer and you just might not be getting where you're going because there's that line of storm. So you, you think you think of terms of where could where else could I go? You know, how long can I hold? I had exactly that situation uh, a few weeks back where you know I was was looking at it and well if this doesn't clear out, you know how how long can I dawdle and wait? <laughs> you know how how long is it going to take the storm to get out of the way? Now our storms often move pretty fast, <laughs> you know, out here, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for them to move, you know, at 40 knots or something like that, which is really quick for a thunderstorm movement. But, um, but so sometimes they can get out of the way before you get there. And that's actually a situation I had. The storm moved out of the way before I even got there and I landed and it was, the ground was wet, but it was, you know, nice and clear and sunny <laughs> by the time I got there. But the, the great thing, of course, is with, you know, onboard weather and all you, you can, kind of keep track of how the storms are moving and you can have a plan from, you know, 300 miles away or, or whatever. So it's, it's fantastic to be able to use the technology for that. But, uh, Carl, you had something. Yeah. I have a question for both of you guys. And as you were saying this, one thing, uh, was brought to my mind. I'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking, um, you guys took off, uh, IFR, uh, required alternates possibly, uh, but how how did you go about choosing your actual alternate, or did you not have one at all? Russ, I think um, maybe you could kind of point to that. And when you're choosing that actual alternate, are you choosing one more so to be legal or to be safe, or 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 both? Or do you try to kind of weigh the two? Well, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it depends, right? And I mean, we we have alternates that that you have to find. You know, we're, I don't think we're going to get really into the rules too much on this show. That that's certainly an important topic, but you know, the one, two, three rule and such, you have rules when you have to file an alternate, but realistically, sometimes when you have to file an alternate, you're pretty sure you're going to be able to get in at least based on weather, right? Now that doesn't account for, you know, air, disabled aircraft on a runway or, you know, something closes or you know, who knows what, right? But, but at least from weather, you're pretty sure you're usually able to get in. But when it starts getting a little bit dicey, then you really put, need to put a lot more thought into it. And I think where you're going with this, Carl, is there's, you can file a legal, a totally legal alternate that is absolutely going to be useless <laughs> to you. Uh, right here where I live, we have, I don't know, four or five airports that are probably all within a 10 or 20 mile radius of each other. Very similar terrain as Oklahoma. So you know, it's all the same. So if the weather's bad at one place, it's probably going to be about the same level of bad at the other place at the next airport over. So although you may be able to file an alternate for that airport that's, you know, five miles away, if the weather is the same there, that doesn't really help. Um, 
I do teach, uh, teach my students that there's really two things you're looking for for an effective alternate. I think two. Let's find out if I got them right. Um, one is that it's far enough away to make a difference for the weather, or it has approaches that are significantly better. Okay. If you've got an LPV at your home airport that goes down to 200 feet and your alternate airport has an ILS that's 200 feet, well, it better be far enough away that the weather might be different. Uh, on the other hand, if all you have is an LNAV approach or a VOR or something at your home airport that goes down to 600 feet and the airport five miles away has an ILS at 200 feet, well, maybe that does make sense as an alternate because you'll be able to use it to get in. Uh, so it's a couple of additional considerations you have there that, uh, that, that you need to, be, need to be thinking about. Is it a reasonable alternate? It may be a legal one, but it may not make sense for your for your planning yeah absolutely tom how about you i mean uh i know you've been doing a lot of flying and choosing your alternate i mean where uh what is your thought process so, so russ's points are, are are definitely valid and, and a lot of this has to do and this came to me while he was saying about these big long lines of thunderstorms that they get in oklahoma we get frontal type thunderstorms here in florida but in the wintertime in the summertime we get these monsters that just grow in one place and rain themselves out in the same place. And they may not necessarily be moving very fast. You may get this thing that blossoms up and may move five, 10 miles, five, 10 knots, miles per hour, maybe, you know, it just, it does everything all in one place, you know, and it depends on the time of the year, you know, in the beginning of the summer, they grow up in the middle of the state towards the end of the summer, they're out towards the coast. And, you know, you, you get these things that don't move. So you kind of know that and, and, and can navigate around them. My point here is, is that understanding the weather where you are is going to play into how you're going to pick that alternate. In other words, if I know that it's a big, long frontal system and it's moving in a certain direction, I'm not going to pick an alternate that's out in front of that thing. Granted, you know, we're, we're still subject to these are forecasts and they're going to change and they're not always the 100% accurate. But at the end of the day, I have an opportunity to try to make a better decision based on what I'm seeing with the weather. And that comes off of experience. Like today, those thunderstorms that had popped up, they were the type that just sat still. So I knew that I was going to be able to navigate around them or at least pick a place that um, was going to be useful. Yeah, Tom, I want to pipe in right there. Here in Oklahoma, usually our storms move, you know, through the area pretty, pretty reasonably, or at least they're moving. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had some that are exactly like the ones you're talking about that just sit there and they, they didn't move at all. You know, just kept raining on the same place just continually. And that's un kind of uncommon out here. Okay, so if I had been flying that day, which I wasn't, but if I had been flying, I would have been looking, oh, that'll, that'll have moved off by the time I, I get to the airport, and well, not in that case. So, although yeah, it's important to have local knowledge, absolutely, but also be uh, you know, open to changing your plan if it, if it doesn't work out quite the way you think it's going to. Yeah, it's one of those interesting things about the way that we fly um, in the collegiate setting, um, and my program is small amongst you know, some college programs, but we launch 10 to 12 flights every two hours. So every two hours, there's another 10 to 12 flights going out. So um, you've got a lot of aircraft, you know, in the traffic patterns for municipally owned and operated airports in Polk County. So they, like you said, Russ, they're very close to one another, which is great for training because uh, it's really easy to go find, you know, a non-towered or a towered airport, whatever you're looking for, um, for, for training operations. But that means when those 
those, uh, I call them the sit and wait storms when they just pop up and sit there, um, until they rain themselves out, you know, it's not uncommon for our guys to be coming back. And one of those little, I call them peanuts too. One of those little peanuts pops up on top of Lakeland. Well, now you're not getting back into Lakeland. Um, and you know, so you go and you sit and wait. So you go, you find another airport. So we find in the summertime, particularly, um, you're almost doing daily diversions, right? So um, one of the things, when we talk about alternates, we're not really talking about alternates in the IFR sense. I mean, certainly there are, like we've already talked about, legal, you know, mandated requirements for filing an alternate. We're talking about, you know, alternate decisions, um, you know, or or alternate plans. Um, You know, if you're only taking off with plan A, you're already setting yourself up for failure, right? You got to have a B, C, D, and E plan before you leave. Um, and that's true, whether you're talking about, you know, primary flight training, you're talking about corporate flying. Um, a couple of months ago, we took off in the King Air 350, headed for Arkansas, um, definitely within the range of the King Air, um, you know, within the alternate range of the King Air. Um, get up and realize that the jet stream has shifted further south than what it was forecast to, and I'm looking at 130 knot headwind. Um, the uh, fuel management computer tells me my fuel available on landing is zero pounds. <laughs> so I don't know when it's going to run out, but it's going to run out before I land. So so it's like, okay, well, now you got to plan for a fuel stop. Well, not really, because we'd already planned for, we already had an idea of, you know, if something goes uh, south, if it's weather, if it's an emergency in flight, if it's a fuel stop, we already knew what that was going to be before we took off. We were already mindful of it. Um, because like you were saying a second ago, Russ, and I've, I've been in this situation, in situations where I wasn't as prepared as maybe I should have been or I hadn't thought enough ahead. Everybody's solution is, well, I'll just hold and wait it out. Well, every trip, every every leg you make around that hold is that ring of where you can get to starts to shrink, right? And so the longer you sit there and wait, it's not just waiting to get into the airport you're trying to get into. It's taking away other options because you're sitting there just burning gas running around in a circle. And so you, you really got to think about not just, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to hold and, and wait, which is definitely the better option than shooting an approach into, you know, terrible weather or minimums, you know, or beyond either the limitations of you or any of your ability to see the runway. But, you know, it's, it's a bigger question than that. So like Tom, I was excited to see real alternates because what we're really talking about is thinking ahead of the airplane. It's thinking ahead of, thinking ahead of what can go wrong and having contingency plans for those things before we ever launch. Because I th- all of us have been flying long enough to know you make that go decision to leave, right? But you can always, and I tell my students this all the time, you can always make the no-go decision to continue flying. Just because you made the go call and everything looked fine doesn't mean that it's always going to be fine. So that go, no-go call is constantly being made throughout the entire course of the flight for me. Eric, I, I want to make a point too, and I, this is great that you brought that up as far as uh, diverting and and uh, you know you're sitting in there on the hold and you're burning fuel as you're sitting in the hold, and that that little cone gets smaller and smaller. Two things I, w- I want to talk about uh, with that in mind. Number one, how do we teach people? And that's the reason I want to have this discussion. How do we teach people how to pick an alternate? We all talked about experience. How do we get that experience? We have these conversations. We watch YouTube. We talk about you know what we've done as far as picking an alternate. And, uh, and the other thing is, to, to Eric's point, as far as holding is concerned, when do I leave? When do I make that decision? And it's incredibly subjective uh, because of this. 
if you are holding, say, south of an airport, and they say, hey, it's going to be another hour before the airport opens. Oh, you're like, ah, no big deal. There's an airport right over there, maybe just 20, 30 miles away from me. Well, this happened to me the other day. And I was like, oh, no problem. I've got an airport not far away. And then they said, prepare to uh, write down uh, your clearance to your alternate. Because I said, I, I don't have any gas. i got to go to my alternate. Well, then they proceeded to give me a clearance that had me sent me way back south, then to fly to the east, then to fly north. And I'm like, uh-oh, I just, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to be landing with not much fuel at the place I'm diverting to. So, so you have to keep in mind and think outside the box. And sometimes that comes through like that experience I just related to you, is that I was comfortable until they decided to give me a clearance that made my path to my alternate double what it was. And it's not just you, right, Carl? So if you're in that situation, there are other aircraft in that hold with you trying to get into that same airport in the same situation. So, you know, and there's always there's always the first person, right? So somebody somebody breaks off, then everybody's just like, yeah, I think I'll break off too. Um, but you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait until now we're at minimums. It's time to go. Well, some people have probably already left, and then there's all the other people who are going to leave with you. And then, like you said, now you're going to get this insane clearance because there's still, you're not the only person in the sky. So you're not just making that decision for you, for your aircraft, and, you know, in the transport world, you know, for your passengers. You also got to be mindful of the fact that there's a lot of other people sharing the sky trying to do the exact same thing you're doing, too. Absolutely. And that brings up another point that I, I'm so glad you brought along is what tools do we have in, in this toolbox in, in our aviation world to figure out those contingency plans, those alternates and uh, places to go? I'll, I'll give you one. And then I'd love to hear from, from the other folks here. One of the tools that I use is uh, Flight Radar 24. If, like what Eric was saying, you, you're not the first one to be holding sometimes. Uh, you may be, actually, but you can find out by looking at, because uh, everybody has these devices now, and look at Flight Radar 24. Uh, you can look on the internet and say, hey, there's all these other people holding. Maybe I could be the first person to the alternate, get my gas, and get out of there as quick as I can. Uh, so that's just like one of the tools that I use other than my ears and eyes. But uh, I'd be curious. Uh, kind of what you guys have as far as tools. Maybe, Russ, you could uh, give us maybe a, a tool that you possibly have uh, in your toolbox. It can be anything. Uh, I use uh, Flight Radar 24. One one example of a tool is just very simple. And uh, you know, most of my clients use Four Flight. And most people know if you put two fingers down on it, it gives you a quick estimate of time and fuel it's going to take to get to wherever you're from wherever your finger is to wherever your other finger is, if that makes sense, you know? So you can kind of scroll around with a little ruler on it like that. And for, for planning out diversions, that's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's very quick. It's not entirely, you know, exact because you know, I don't think it's accounting for the wind and all it's accounting for over your current ground speed is and whatever you have set for fuel flow and speed and all that kind of stuff. But, but, uh, yeah, just the two finger method on on four flight will tell you. Okay, it's to get to that airport. It's going to take you, you know, twenty six minutes and use whatever gallons of gas, and so that's uh, that's a very quick estimate. Can I make it there, or do I need to go somewhere closer, or I can hold here for another hour? Then I have to, you know, whatever. You can use that to help make those kind of decisions. So that four flight, it's interesting you brought that up. I'm not, I'm not an expert on four flight. I'm starting to get better at it. But that cone that you determine where you can go to, I, I found out the other day, and I, 
I know this is going to be silly. I just found this out. But there's a way you can determine, even if, say, you had an engine failure, where you can go uh, on four, li- four flight. Yeah, that's that, that's that's the glide ring. That's, that's a little different scenario, but that certainly does. Yeah, if you have it set up right, you can uh, have that glide ring. Say, I can make it to that airport if my engine fails, but not to this other one. Uh, that does depend on having it set accurately, of course. But, uh, but that, that's not going to do quite what we're talking about here with the alternate fuel planning. Uh, one airplane I fly has... Uh, it's very well equipped. It's got G1000 with you know all the latest upgrades to that, and and it's got that great fuel ring on it that tells you, you know, can you? Oh, I look like I make it to Mexico today, you know, uh, or you know, including your reserves. So, but but it's great. Yeah, very very easy. I wanted to circle back to that later as far as alternates because I do want to talk about engine failure alternates. It's going to be some of, it's you know thinking outside of the box, uh, but uh, you know it's something at the airlines that we do all the time. We figure out how far we can go on one engine, how far we can go on no engines, uh, if we have to glide, etc. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. But that's again what we're not talking about right now. And Tom, I was wondering, uh, going back to that toolbox, what we have in our personal aviation toolbox. What do you use? Gosh, I'm I'm with you. You know, I, in, instead of the Flight Radar 24, I'm more uh, more comfortable with Flight Aware. But it's the same thing. It's such a great tool. It picks up all the ADSB stuff. You can see it on the ground. You can see all these planes flying around. You know, over the entire country, if you want to. So, you know, picking a place, your your destination, or even places in between. It's such a great way to see how how people are diverting a, around certain weather. You know, um, it works on ForeFlight as well. I mean, my all the ADSB information comes up on ForeFlight now, even when you're sitting on the ground. If if, you're, if I'm connected up to Wi-Fi or to uh, cellular, it it automatically shows up there. I can look at traffic and see what's going on. You know, so that that's definitely a great tool for, um, you know, just kind of planning or at least getting an idea of what's going on in the direction that you're going. And and that's what this is all about. It's trying to provide myself with the best information I possibly can so that I can make better decisions while I'm off the ground. And, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Eric was talking about before about you can make that no good decision anytime you can, you can just say, okay, we're going to take a time out and we're going to go over here and we're going to go talk about it. And, and you know, where we're safe with our feet on the ground and, and you can do that at any time. I don't know that I, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to repeat what they said about four flight and 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 those tools because that th- that's what I would say. I would say before we get into the airplane, though, one of the tools that you know I I tend to favor is simulation, right? So there's there's something to be said for the real world application of being in the airplane, in the environment, talking to ATC, or it's real and you're making those calls, and that's valuable experience. But you know, experience can also be a really cruel mistress in some in some cases, where you know there are there are plenty of ways to practice for these kind of situations before you find yourself in them in the airplane. And so, setting up these kinds of unfamiliar airport, poor weather, delays, holds, low fuel situations, and just watch what the student does. You know, set them up in these in these scenarios. They're relatively easy to create. Um, and, and sort of see where their thought process is and use that as a as a as a teaching tool uh, where they're you know when they do make those calls or when you think it's time to intervene where there is a pause button and you you can turn that into a teachable moment instead of um, now we've got to you know declare an emergency because we, we've waited too long and we're in the real environment um, it, it, it and just as an extension of that it always blows my mind particularly in 
instrument training um, with students in the sim, how no matter what I throw at them, they will not declare an emergency. They, it's, it's like part of this is, is, is real world training. Like, so now you've lost your, your primary flight indication, um, your low fuel, and you're in a non, you're in an unfamiliar area. Why in the world would you not declare an emergency? You know, um, because in the airplane, if they if they have always operated the sim, is uh, I'm just going to keep pushing forward, and no matter what it takes, I'll I'll figure out a way to get it done. You know, that's going to translate to the airplane too. And sometimes it is appropriate. Um, it's always appropriate when it's appropriate to to say, hey, listen, I need help. I need time. I need a delaying vector. Um, um, you know, asking ATC for assistance in terms of airport selection. They can help you with some of those things. They can't make the decisions for you, but they are a resource. And learning to use that before you need it um, is the best way to make sure that that you know how to use it when the time comes. There's two things you said there that I think are really interesting. In the simulator, sometimes we we want to stay out of the woods. In other words, I would do this, I would do that. But in real life, they, they may actually uh, declare an emergency or... They may not because it's a negative transfer from the simulator because they're so used to not doing that. So, so it can go either way. Um, but going back to what you said about air traffic control, there's one thing that I, I noticed that we really didn't talk about much. And honestly, this is what we use at the airlines all the time. And that's other people. Um, and air traffic control is one of them. The pathfinders. Uh, we're honestly you know, we ask for directions, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, we, it's, uh, it becomes very humbling and you say, hey, listen, has somebody else gotten through that area of storms? Uh, what are other people doing? I mean, those options may have closed up, but it gives you some kind of an idea. It's where you fall, you finally swallow your pride. And the reason people don't want to declare an emergency because there's a lot of paperwork afterwards, this might help you not declare an emergency, at least the, the interpretation, there's too much uh, paperwork, but they really should be declaring an emergency and they also should be help, asking for help. And they will ask you, if you ask for help, hey, listen, uh, you know, I just need some assistance getting through this weather. Uh, do you know anybody else who can help me? Any other airplanes out there? Uh, and that's that's incredibly important, I think. Uh, to, in, in being in the simulator, I think we should do that more often. It's like, hey, ask for help. Ask, ask air traffic control. Uh, so, so there's some great things about the sim, and there's some things that, that might transfer negatively in, into the, uh, into the uh, actual flying environment. That's, that is absolutely true there. But good point on the simulator, though. I think that's a great tool. I had a uh, flight you know, a month or so ago out to Salt Lake City and back from here. And, and on the way back, there was some you know, pretty significant weather over Colorado. And we were in a uh, pressurized barren. And so we're up at you know, uh, 21,000 or something like that. So it was a good clearance with the rocks down below. But there was a lot of weather around. And some, we had onboard radar. And some of it was you know, looked pretty benign. Some of it looked less benign. But, <laughs> but uh, the best thing we had was... was uh, ADSB on board. So say, Hey, look, there's an airplane that's 20 miles ahead of us. Looks like it's going the same way. So I said, Hey, uh, center, can you get a you know, report of the weather from, you know, November one, two, three, four, five, or something like that. And they called them up and I could hear it directly. Right. And, and they told us what, what the ride was like and where the tops were, the bases or, you know, just that kind of information. I know that you airline guys do that all the time. You know, everybody's always asking for ride reports and that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it can work great for, for the smaller airplanes too. Absolutely. And, and having that tool of ADSB and be able to call out that one airplane, I want to know what that guy is seeing, you know, <laughs> ATC, can you get a report from him? 
or her. Uh, that's just fantastic. Yeah, Russ, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've recently started using ADSB at work. Uh, we, you know, we're finally getting them in the airplanes. And it's, it's wonderful. If you see somebody going around a storm, say, hey, could you ask uh, Cessna 12345? Hey, what's the ride like? Or how are they getting through that hole? And, and they come back and say, oh, it's smooth rides. And there's no problem. Lots of room between the storms. That's for sure. I mean, it's a great point. Love an ADSB. Uh, other tools. Could anybody think of any other tools? Um, I've really appreciated um, with ADSB seeing that low-level traffic that's flying around where I'm going, especially when I'm on top of a layer. It's really helpful to ask, you know, where is the rain column? <laughs> where is it actually raining? Because when I'm looking at radar, I'm seeing the, you know, if I've got actual live radar in the airplane, that's one thing. But if I'm looking at NEXRAD, I'm only seeing the most intense return in that column of air. So it's really helpful to know from folks who are down below that layer or who are descending through that layer to tell me where where is the where is the rain? Um, and so it's it's funny. I think with ADSB, we've become a lot more um, connected as pilots in the system. Um, you know, we're not talking to each other necessarily, but we are sort of we're telling uh, ATC. I'd really like to hear from from that plane. <laughs> What's well, what are they doing? Where, like you said, it used to be. You know, you were talking to center, and it was just like. Hey, any ride reports at eight thousand or whatever, and it was just a random. You just threw it up against a wall and hoped hoped something came back. And now you can be very specific and say, "Can you tell me what's going on with that with that airplane over there?" Um, you know why they they just they um, you know or they maybe they took a lower altitude. Can you check in with them and see if the ride's better down there or you know what they're seeing? And I think that's a that's a huge help because with all the tools we've got, all the imaging tools in the cockpit, you know, there's still we still need our eyes. We need to be able to see what's out there. And if we're in the, if we're in the soup or on top of a layer, you can't see anything. So using somebody else's eyes is a huge benefit. Absolutely. I, I believe that's uh, very true. And that's uh, something that I think we don't rely on enough. Uh, so I, I think that's a great point there, Eric. One other thing I want to talk about, we talked about tools. Of course, if you have some tools you want to suggest, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. I think, one of the things that we need to also think about is our power-off alternates. And uh, what do I mean by that? When we're diverting around weather, uh, something we kind of want to think outside the box a little bit. If we lose power in our aircraft, where do we go next? If it's partial power, whatever it may be, where am I? And if I'm in a spot where I can't land, say, on land, do I have the flotation devices I need. This catches a lot of people I know in a lot of the, the Great Lakes area in Florida. It's very easy to be doing an approach and being vectored off an approach on either coast, and you're out in the middle of the water, and there is no way you're getting back to land. Uh, and it's going to be quite the swim. Uh, I know that people that fly in the Bahamas a lot, they, they go through this all the time. And I think about that often. It's like, where do I, where am I going when I lose, if it's in a twin one engine, where am I going if I lose both my engines? And, uh, and what's my plan? And what am I going to do on the way down? And these are the kind of things that I want us to be thinking about. Because I know when we fly single engine, we're hopefully doing that all the time. What's our, what are, where are we going to go? Uh, but sometimes we don't think about that when we're getting around the weather. So keep that in mind too. Uh, I know and I think, Tom, you were mentioning you do a lot of flying down to the Bahamas and the islands and things like that. Um, 
do you do you find yourself? I know you do some low altitude flying when you get over there. Uh, do you find yourself thinking those thoughts? You know, what what's next? What maybe I'm going to have to land on an island, possibly, or on a beach? Absolutely, and and you know, uh, so going off the west coast of Florida and heading out to the Bahamas in a single engine Cessna, you're going to be out of sight of land for about 15 minutes. A good 15 minutes where you can't see it out the back window anymore and you can't pick it up yet out the windscreen. And that 15 minutes is, is a little unsettling. You're kind of like, you're really thinking about it then. One of the things I learned, and, and I learned this from somebody else a long time ago, is um, making that stop on the East Coast, filling up full of fuel, and putting whatever is going to come out of the plane with me into the water on my body. If it's not on my body, it's probably not coming with me. So flotation devices get put on before we leave. They're on and we're using them going across the water. Um, whatever else that I deem important, like uh, I have an EPIRB, I have that attached to my body so that they can come get me, you know, if, if, in case, if indeed we do, you know, have to ditch it in the water. And, and, and those are the ways that you got to think about it. You know, um, over land flights, I, I almost do flights sometimes if the weather's really bad, like I would do night flights. Night flights, I tend to plan my flights over airports. That if I have an emergency, I can glide to an airport because you can't see anything else. You know, is that big black hole a lake? Is it a patch of woods? Is what? It, I have no idea what it is, you know. So um, in bad weather, that's kind of the line of thinking is how do I keep myself close to, to places? And and to that end, you know, I, I teach my students this and, and have them look at this. So on a big, bigger picture, if you look at just the United States, just a big picture of the United States, and you take a line and draw it from Brownville, Texas, all the way up through the country, all the way up to the western part of Lake Superior. Everything to the right-hand side is class echo that's not even depicted. And there are boatloads of airports on the eastern part of the country. You go to the west, it's it's a completely different animal out there. You get out in the, out in the west, and airports are few and far between until you get all the way out into the west coast. So the way that you think about how you're going to do this is, is, is a complete different animal than on one side of that line than it is on the other. And like I said, when I, when I fly at night, it's, it's over airports, airport to airport to airport, so that I got, I got options. Um, if I'm flying in really, really bad weather in a small aircraft, I, I want the options. And if I'm flying out over water for long periods of time where I can't see land, I'm putting whatever I need on my body at that point. And Tom, I'm, I'm glad you brought up about overland. I was one of the things that I I like to do is look for large uh, bodies of of land when I'm out there over the islands, large beaches, etc., where I can land. But that is a great point. And you know, flying over Montana, did a lot of flying up there years ago. Uh, your alternate is not going to be an airport uh, if you have a rough engine or whatever. But what you try to do is educate yourself as to the terrain below you and those alternate and contingency plans that we have, places that we can land, where we can land safely, call somebody on a phone, a sat phone, et cetera, and say, hey, come pick me up. So, so let's think, and that's, and that's why I brought this up. I kind of want to have people start thinking outside the box, maybe landing on a highway uh, and landing in areas where, like in Arizona, you know, I have friends that do air ambulance out there. They land on highways because uh, there aren't too many airports in certain areas. And those are the type of things we need to start thinking about is that, you know, these are places I can land. So I want to challenge people to do this. And I was just doing this today or yesterday. I was driving from down near Fort Myers to Lakeland 
And I started looking around as I'm driving at places that I could land if I had to, uh, if I had a problem. And it may not even be because of the fact I had an engine problem. And well, that's something that would lead to an engine problem, like running out of gas. And there were no places to go. And there were storms over all the airports where I wanted to go to. And I didn't have enough room to, to get there. Where could I put down safely if I ran out of gas or had an engine failure? Uh, and that's something that I think is awesome about what you do as far as flying over the West. And that's a great point that you brought up, Tom. Uh, and these are the kind of things that we don't, and that's the reason I wanted to have this conversation is, is you know, what is a real alternate? Um, we talk about weather. We talk about things like that. We talk about, you know, if uh, our engines fail, if we have partial power loss, where can we put down? Where can we find people that can come and help us? And remember, just because, you you know, you think you're just going to land on that road, you can take off too. I mean, I've you know seen it on highways like Route 80 where people have landed and then, you know, fixed whatever it was and taken off again. Uh, so it can happen. So don't, don't actually, you know, think that you won't be able to leave. Uh, so keep that in mind as, as your your other alternate, uh, your alternate to your alternate to your alternate, or obviously your uh, your contingency planning. I I really you know I had a a struggle with this topic, and and I'm kind of glad we we were talking this this way because I always struggle with what do I need to tell my students and and what do I need to tell the other people I'm flying with, and you know a lot of times I always say you know if things don't make sense try not to make sense of them, uh, but what I'm trying to say is think outside the box, you know, think about what we can do and what we can think about as far as alternate planning, other than the legal restrictions. Let's think about what's safe and, and think, you know, way outside the box as to what type of alternate planning that we can do. And, uh, and even in that alternate planning, uh, go even further, uh, say to yourself where I'm going to divert to, how about fire rescue? How about water? And how about places, shelter, that type of thing? Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize at the airlines, I mean, some of the islands that we have for our alternate airports over the Atlantic, um, there's nothing there. I mean, they can't even fit the people that are on the airplane into a building that's on the airport. <laughs> so so you have those type of alternates. And it's really, it, it's, it's a challenge. It, it sure is. Uh, but uh, anyway, anything else, guys, as far as, as other contingency planning, other alternates that we can, uh, you know, Talking about real alternates, I think this is a really good conversation starter. Uh, I don't think we'd ever be able to cover everything as far as alternates are concerned. We covered a lot here. But in my viewpoint, it's experience and listening to other people's experiences and learning from those. Uh, Because we sometimes dissect, you know, accidents. But I I love to dissect uh, people's experiences so that I can learn from those experiences, like Tom was saying uh, and brought up about over over land yeah just one closing uh thing on that carl i I talk you know it's a a lot of it is about experience and you know different parts of the country have different weather patterns you know if we're talking about the the standard you know weather alternate uh, thing i mean you have areas of the country where one airport has you know always has fog at certain times of day where 10 miles away, there's an airport that's always clear. I'm thinking like, you know, San Francisco and Oakland, that kind of example. Uh, you know, we're in other parts of the country. If one's down, they're all down. Okay. You know, so that kind of local knowledge you might have if you live there, but you're traveling somewhere else. We have airplanes to travel, right? If whether we're, we own them or just fly them for work or whatever. So that sometimes that local knowledge, you know, we have, 
pilot discussion forums and, you know, Facebook groups and, you know, all that kind of thing can really help with that. And I see a lot of that. Hey, hey guys, I'm flying to Chicago next week. You know, what, what can I kind of expect? You know, that kind of thing. So the more involved you are with that, I think you can pull upon other people's uh, local knowledge and experience. And so you don't have to get it yourself the hard way, I guess. That's a great point, Russ. Uh, just going into these groups, uh, you know, and you have to, uh, one caution I have with these groups is sometimes the discussions devolve. Uh, so try to keep it, you know, well, positive. That, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but you try not to have that happen. That's why it's good to go into a group has a good moderator. Uh, but you're right. I think it's absolutely a, a great idea. There's so many good, good groups out there to, to discuss these things with and to learn from. Because uh, it's always fun to put those scenarios out on like the YouTube channels and you see people tearing them apart. But as they're tearing them apart you're saying gee what would have i what would i have done in that situation and and that's what we're talking about you know what alternate would you have used uh what contingency planning would you have used what is your real alternate and that's why we talked about it today not just your ifr alternate notice we didn't even tell you about the rules uh i, I have it in the show notes you can go look it up yourself as far as as the rules as far as alternates are concerned and uh you know it's really it's really simple uh but it's it's complex in your planning. Uh, the regulation is simple, but it's complex when it comes to your planning. And this is a great discussion, guys. I I really appreciate this. I I've learned something and and just some great points that you all have brought up. Uh, but uh, but anyway, if you have questions, stuckmikeavcast at gmail dot com. Uh, let us know what kind of alternate planning you're doing. What things that you may have think may have thought of, and what might be in your toolbox for planning and contingency planning to find your real alternate our picks of the week and you know it's been a while and uh, i'm so excited uh for picks of the week because uh, we're doing a lot of interviews and all and it's just so uh, i'm actually really excited that we've been able to get back together just after a little break there but uh first thing i want to do is our pick of the week one thing that um people have asked me is that uh i've had this other blog and youtube channel i won't mention that and i put some of our videos on there we're going to shift a lot of our stuck mike avcast videos back to our original youtube channel that we started years ago and uh my pick of the week is that channel it's uh, youtube.com slash stuck mike avcast uh go out there now subscribe uh you know like those videos that you like and tell us which ones you don't like put comments out there uh i'm finding that uh, youtube is a great tool uh, I want to start putting more videos out, short videos, uh, talking about what we're talking about right here, uh, and maybe even do like I've done on some other shows and, and place those as podcasts, too, because I think it helps people in that discussion as to what to do. We have some things about uh, flying approaches and that type of thing, so uh, check that out, youtube.com slash stuckmikeavcast. Had some uh, pretty cool uh, guests on in the past and and some great discussions, and, uh, and we have some old ones out there, you know, landing on... Uh, on uh, Glacier, actually. Uh, that was a, a really, really old one out there. But uh, So that's my pick of the week, our YouTube channel. Eric Crump, what is your pick of the week? With a new semester starting and a whole new group of students getting in the airplane for the first time and going, what are these tower controllers saying to me? Um, it just once again reminded me of the value of liveatc.net, um, the ultimate study tool for <laughs> learning how to talk on the radio. Uh, when I was first learning to fly... My first flight instructor asked me if uh, my dad had a police scanner, and I said, yeah, he does. And he goes, well, when you go home, 
type this frequency into the police scanner and you can listen to the approach controllers. You'll be able to hear the airplanes, you'll be able to hear the controllers. And that's how I learned to uh, that's how I learned to talk on the radio with the police scanner in my house in the middle of the woods. Um, and so now we have LiveATC.net, which is awesome. Not only can you listen to some of the most intense airspace in the world. Um, but you can also listen to uh, your local airport, which is great for my students to get the, the tone, the cadence, the pace of, uh, of operating here in Lakeland, which can be uh, very not busy or insanely, insanely busy, uh, depending on what time of day. And, you know, if it's especially if it's this, at those two hour marks where, where my entire fleet's coming back, it gets really busy. Um, so it's, it's a great help. I, I love, I love those guys. Um, love what Dave does and, I, uh, I, I sincerely appreciate it um, as a pilot and as an instructor and a program director. So LiveATC.net. LiveATC.net. Thanks a lot uh, for that one. It also can help you with contingency planning. Maybe you'll hear somebody trying to reach out to somebody else asking, hey, what are they doing in front of me? You know, ask those path- pathfinders. Great pick. Uh, Russ, uh, what is your, I'm hoping it's going to be a book, but what is your pick of the week? Well, you're right, Carl, because it is a book. And, you know, it's been, we mentioned how it's kind of been a, a while since we've done an episode, and it's been even longer than that since I've been on an episode. I kind of had a few I had to select from and <laughs> dig my way back. I also had to try to remember if I've recommended this one already or not. And I don't think I have, but if I have, well, it's a repeat, I guess. Um, so this was actually recommended by a listener. Uh, the book is called Black Cat 2 1. The True Story of a Vietnam Helicopter Pilot and His Crew, and by Bob Ford, who is uh, local to Oklahoma, around this area. But uh, it, it, it's exactly what the title says. It, it's about the, you know, the, the missions that this uh, Huey pilot flew in the Vietnam War and kind of the daily life of a helicopter pilot and a lot about you know, what it was like to live on some of these, uh, some of these uh, Army uh, air bases, you know, that was just little areas carved out of different parts of the, uh, the jungle and such. So uh, a lot about their different missions. I mean, a wide variety of missions, all kinds of stuff you, you, you would imagine. But it was a real good book. It was real easy to read and, and very entertaining and uh, highly recommend it. It's called Black Cat 2-1. Awesome. Thanks. And by the way, um, all these books that you've picked uh, are in our Picks of the Week at StuckMyGavCast.com. All the past books and past Picks of the Week, some repeat themselves, but uh, that's okay because uh, some should repeat. I actually went to there during the show and searched to make sure I hadn't recommended it before, and I don't think I have, (laughs) unless as long as that's up to date. So. Awesome. Yeah, and hats off to Alicia, our assistant, for for helping us keep that up to date and uh, keep this website going. I really appreciate it. Um, But uh, yeah, great story. That looks like an awesome score. I got to check that one out. Uh, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I realized something actually just this past week as I've been doing more instrument training that um, there was a reference that I use, and it's it's pilotscafe.com. And what he has there, it's an IFR quick review study guide. And I've had a copy of this thing. I mean, he started, I think he put the first one out in like 2011 and has been updating it ever since. But what a resource. I mean, I, I realized that I have a copy of this on my on my tablet and I have one on my computer and I have a have one printed out. And I have gone back to this thing over and over again. It's just one place where all of this instrument 
information is consolidated and it references the regs and it references, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, really good stuff that I go back to all the time. So, you know, if you've never, you've never been to Pilot's Cafe and haven't seen this reference guide, check it out. It's, it's definitely uh, something that's very useful in the instrument world to kind of help spark your memory on all the things we're supposed to remember. Tom, that's a great pick of the week. Thanks. Pilotscafe.com. You can find all these, like I said, and uh, our picks of the week, past picks of the week on stuckmikeavcast.com. By the way, that pilotscafe.com, uh, I actually highly recommend it for people that are going for interviews and, and jobs. That's It's that good. It's a nice reference. It's awesome. So thanks again, Tom. And also, uh, I want to thank everybody that was here tonight. Uh, our co-hosts here, Eric, Russ, and Tom, uh, for sticking it through. I mean, we've had uh, some challenges lately. I mean, with uh, with this virus going on, and uh, you know, people having certain physical challenges on the show, and we've had had some uh, just challenges because the industry is coming back. But uh, I really appreciate our listeners too. I listen. I really appreciate you uh, coming here and listening to us today. And I hope uh, we provide more content. And that's really what we're trying to do: is provide content that you can use that will both entertain you, but also will help you become a better pilot, maybe learn something, but it'll be something that you can use in your flying life now and in the future. And you can go back and listen to some of those, those past episodes. I also want to actually encourage you to go out and check out that YouTube channel because uh, what we're going to do is put a lot of those other interviews. People have asked us, where did those interviews go? Those video interviews we've done at some of these air shows. Uh, I'm actually starting to put those on that channel. Uh, things like uh, the Sport Aviation Expo. Uh, we're going to have different playlists on there. And we're going to start doing more and more of these. And we're going to start going to a lot more air shows and try to do some more video interviews. Because I know you folks want to see some of those airplanes. We've gotten some great feedback on those interviews we've done where uh, we've actually shown the camera around those those different uh, aircraft and talked about them. Uh, and that's what we're about, you know, about you know learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. And that's uh, what we're going to continue to do uh, here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. And also, if you really enjoy this, don't forget to go out to stuckmikeavcast.com slash Patreon. Uh, every dollar that we raise there goes towards scholarships and giving away those scholarships guides. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening and safe flying out there. We're going to talk to you next episode. And do me a favor, you know, get out there, click on the YouTube channel, maybe think about what you would do in your flight planning process to pick a real alternate. Safe flying. Talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. <laughs>